Rattlesnakes here on Rumbletone Radio Go-Go. They're performing tomorrow night at Pat's Pub. That winds up Rumbletone Radio at Go-Go. I will be back next Wednesday afternoon starting at 3 o'clock. Stay tuned for the Arts Report. Tracy's going to be bringing you all the culture. I bring you all the trash. She brings you the arts. I bring you the fuzz. She brings you the culture. Ladies and gentlemen, Arts Report coming up right after I play one last song. I'm going to wind up with Misha and the Spanks. They are playing that show tomorrow night at Pat's Pub, along with Battlesnakes, Hot Blood Bombers, and opening the show, the debut of Joyce Collingwood. This is Baby, You're Gone, and yes, indeed, I am gone. Stay tuned for the Arch Report. Here's Misha and the Spanks. Do I be friends? Well, I'm another making a difference. Join us for Trick or Eat, an event where students go door-to-door in university neighborhoods to collect food and raise awareness of hunger in Vancouver. Last year, Trick or Eat raised over 6,600 pounds of food. Join the over 400 students dressed up in true Halloween style on Saturday, October 31st, 2009, from 4 to 7.30 p.m. to make a big difference. Whatever your plans, make Trick or Eat a part of your evening. A few hours of your time can make a huge difference in the lives of Vancouver's hungry and poor. This year we are specifically looking for people to drive their cars to help transport food from nearby communities back to campus for trick or eat. If you have a car and would be willing to donate your time, please email ubc at mealexchange.com. out there. My name is Tracy Fuller and this is the Arts Report for Wednesday, October 21st, 2009. What you're listening to in the background is Manta Raygun, this week's winner at the Shindig and weekly annual Shindig Battle of the Bands contest, which is happening right now at the Railway Club every week. The first round is just coming to an end, and Manta Ray Gun won last night against some fierce competition. So here's a little bit of their their song, Heavy as Water, and then I'll hit you up with some uh, more information about what's on this jam-packed show today. All right, 
So on the show today, I have Andrew Longhurst in. We ambushed uh, Minister Kruger, the arts minister who was behind some of the funding cuts earlier this year at the Culture's ribbon-cutting event last week. We've got some tape, and I've got Andrew here in studio to talk about it. Also, I've got a whole bunch of reviews from my amazing arts contributors. Paul Riviere went out to see a piece of dance this week. Also, Robin Smith went out to see a new performance at the Maritime Museum about a survivor of the Titanic. And one of my new contributors went out to the VIF last week and has a review from that. That and Robert Kerr, the man behind the Cultural Olympiad, which will be invading the city come February. So a huge jam-packed show for you. Here's the end of Heavy as Water by Manta Raygun, last night's winner of the Shindig competition, and I'll be back with Andrew as soon as the song ends. That was Heavy as Water by Manta Raygun. But now I'm going to turn the mic over to Andrew Longhurst. He is my political arts reporter here as part of the Arts Report. And the two of us went down to the ribbon-cutting ceremony at the Culture's new venue last week. Andrew, thanks for coming into studio today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, do you want to give uh, our listeners an idea of what we went to, what we attended last week, and who we happened to speak to? Yeah, so as Tracy mentioned, we, uh, we were at the Culture's reopening, the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the new space, a beautiful new space, uh, just incredible. Um, and the great thing is it has a number of different venues on, on the same site. Um, so it, it just will help out in many ways to provide much-needed space um, for the arts community in Vancouver and especially for East Van, mm-hmm. which I heard uh, just recently. I can't remember who mentioned it, but East Vancouver has the highest number of artists in any neighborhood in, uh, in Canada, which actually I think that may have been someone said that at the, uh, at the ceremony yeah, itself. No, I think we have a clip of that. Yeah. I, I could... I could play it a little later which to me was that that's incredible but um it does speak to the need of having the space and so mm-hmm. also at the uh, culture's reopening um a number of um very important people were there mm-hmm. um including uh, the mayor and um the minister of, of culture tourism and the arts um kruger uh, minister kruger and so we had the chance of, um, just as he was ready to run away, um, <laughs> we got a short little interview with him. And uh, Tracy will play that and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss sort of um, a number of his comments and uh, do, a, do a reality check um, with a number of the numbers, the, the, the numbers he provided us um, with funding. And so we sort of asked him, how, how do you defend the arts cuts and how do you, um, how do you defend sort of the actions of the provincial government um and it's it's really hurting a lot of people and so that clip uh trace will play for you yep here it comes so what does this mean for uh, the culture and for culture arts and culture in vancouver well obviously it's a beautiful center with an excellent history of serving the arts and culture communities and now as we just heard the architect say it's ready for the next century of uh, serving the people of vancouver I think there was a tremendous sense of community pride in uh, the building as we uh, did the ribbon cutting today and the province and Premier Gordon Campbell are really delighted to have been a part of the vision and uh, a part of the action as well with a nine million dollar donation. You mentioned it's it's rough right now financially and the, the province isn't in a very good situation. How do you defend though the arts cuts that have been announced recently? We had a really good round table with uh, about 25 I think uh, members representing the arts and culture community today and we talked about those things and they spoke very warmly of our record of contribution and achievement and it has been generous 124 million dollars flowed through the bc arts council since we've been government 150 million dollars set aside for a permanent legacy the bc 150 legacy fund 
uh, administered in perpetuity by the BC Arts Council, $9 million to this building, and many, many uh, other large donations. Uh, these dwarf anything done by governments of the past, and we intend to continue with that record as we have the means to do so. And uh, the community made the point very clearly to me today that the things that they contribute to the social fabric of the population uh, and the, uh, the province itself, as well as their economic contributions, which have uh, large spin-off effects in the general economy, uh, are part of delivering education and health care and social services in the province. What we recognize that. We want to be a part of it long term. This has been a tough year, and yet we have flowed more money in the last eight months into the BC Arts Council than our predecessors ever did in a whole fiscal year. Sorry, uh, our cab's here. Okay, and what about the timing? Just just quickly, a lot of arts groups are very concerned about the timing. You're kind of leaving them in limbo, and they have to change their schedules, their programming, and some of them, even like the Helen Pitt Gallery, are having to consider shutting down. It's, it's sort of left them in a place where they don't know what their future is. The whole world is facing a very different future than the past, but we are completely convinced that it's vital to support arts and culture. And uh, we have delivered a lot of funding this year, uh, and we're doing our best to find ways to provide that security that people are looking for. Thank Great. you. Great. Thank Thanks you. so much. You betcha. Thank you. All right. And that was that was Minister Kruger, Minister of Tourism, Culture, and the Arts. And maybe it'd be appropriate for just to be Minister of that he's Minister of Tourism and not Culture and not Arts. Um, mm. But yeah, some of his numbers um, were a bit bit strange. I'm not sure where he's pulling them from because from his own ministry's report, their service plan that was recently released. Um, core BC provincial arts funding is slated to be cut by 88% over the next two years. Mm-hmm. Um, the core funding, this is not including gaming funding, which right. is an important distinction to make. Um, but it, the, the core funding is going to be cut down to $19.5 million. Um, it was cut down to $19.5 million in the 2008-2009 budget, mm-hmm. and it will be down to $2.25 million in the 2010-2011 budget. So, so just to, to clarify that, that's almost a difference of, that's a difference of well over $15 million in just one year. Two, over two years. Over two years. Two years, yeah. Um, and can you, I know that a lot of people were sort of confused when the gaming grants were restored, that people got the false impression that all of the funding that that had been originally cut was now permanently restored to artists. Andrew, can you speak a little bit to that and defi- or help us understand what what the gaming grants were and how that funding structure? Yeah, so the gaming grants um, go out to a number of different groups, not only arts and culture groups, but a number of um, nonprofit organizations throughout the city and throughout the province. Um, and it's a major source of funding for a lot of a lot of smaller nonprofits, and especially in the arts community, gaming money is is crucial. Mm-hmm. And so the gaming money was about twenty million dollars. Um, There's about twenty million dollars of gaming funding that, um, when they released the new budget, Finance Minister Colin Hansen said, "Oh, and by the way, we aren't going to be honoring that commitment, that funding commitment." And so that was about twenty million dollars. And so based on that. Um, they were trimming the uh, the arts funding down to twenty three um, roughly about twenty three million dollars um, and that 's including core and gaming money so they were basically leaving gaming money completely out and and that was that was gone so right. um, and then they were threatened with legal action, and I think largely because of that um, they reinstated and decided to honor that funding commitment mm-hmm. of um, of the gaming money so that is ba- that that money's back in, um, but we're still left with you know you know looking at the years ahead, we're seeing eighty eight percent in core funding, and so that's gonna that's gonna hurt the BC Arts Council, and so it's interesting he did speak to the fact that yes maybe the the Liberal government has been supportive in the past through funding the BC Arts Council mm-hmm. and with gaming money, but it looks like um, from here on out we may not see any gaming money, and right. that's that's sort of still. Um, that's pretty clear that that's not one of their commitments. Right. 
And you also got a chance to speak to the Mayor Gregor Robertson. Um, should I play that clip right now? Yeah, that would be great. All right. We'll be discussing this more. But this is Gregor Robertson speaking to my arts reporter, Andrew Longhurst, at the Culture's ribbon-cutting ceremony last week. So what does the opening of the Colch mean for Vancouver? Well, the reopening is very exciting. And, well, the reopening. And, and seeing a new and revitalized space for our, our artists is a, it's a fantastic addition for our city. And the York Theatre down the street is going to be another big boost for, uh, for art space. And uh, it's, a great, it's a great gift. And so recently the province has obviously announced that there are going to be significant cuts to the arts. And uh, today Minister Kruger spoke to that, um, not in depth, but... Um, what does that mean for Vancouver? And I know this is a great day for the Colch and the reopening of this great space, but uh, we're seeing a lot of um, impacts, negative impacts in the community. Yeah, the, the provincial arts cuts will, uh, will have real impact on the ground here in Vancouver, and I'm very concerned about it. Uh, the city of Vancouver is a big funder. We do a lot of culture grants from the city, and, uh, and there are a lot of groups that are going to be impacted that we fund uh, and that we want to see continue to do their work. Um, so it's uh, really regrettable. I, I, um, I wish times were different, and I wish, uh, I wish the impact was not going to be uh, felt right now in particular when we're hosting the world and, uh, and really attracting more and more artists uh, to come here and, and do their stuff. Do you see the Olympics as posing um, a problem to artists in the city and possibly pushing them further out? No, I, I see the Olympics more on the opportunity side for artists. I think we, we have an opportunity to, to really shine as a center for arts and culture. And uh, I think that'll be a big theme in the Olympics with the Cultural Olympiad and with, uh, with hundreds of thousands of visitors here seeing our, the work of our artists and our performance here for the first time. I think it's big exposure. And, uh, and from that, I think uh, it creates opportunity for our artists. You've mentioned um, housing, more affordable housing for artists yeah. and, and more affordable spaces for artists. Um, what's, your, what's your goal and sort of what's your uh, planning for that? So we're working on uh, rental housing programs, uh, incentives to get rental housing built. We have a huge shortage of rental housing, and uh, a chunk of that will be more affordable. We're looking at uh, trying to come up with more creative space in the city and, and using our uh, industrial and warehouse space that's complementary to, uh, to artist space. Uh, we're, we're looking at a number of more creative ideas about how to ensure there's more space. Uh, saving the York Theatre and, and looking at other opportunities to ensure there's more performance space. So it's really right across the spectrum, uh, making sure there's places to live and work for artists is key. Okay. And what would you say to art groups and cultural groups that are struggling right now? Well, it's, it's uh, struggle on. I, I really hope that we can get through this, uh, this time and uh, that we, we come out of it stronger. It's, uh, it's never easy when, uh, when the chips are down like this on the funding side of things. Uh, and really, people are going to have to be resourceful and creative and, and, uh, and find every way and means to, to survive uh, what is a tough time. Do you feel that the city will have to sort of pick up the pieces um, that the, the provincial government is um, sort of leaving arts groups to deal with? Are you having to... Uh to deal with some of those issues of artists not art groups not being able to fund budgets or having to possibly consider shutting down as some galleries like the Helen Pitt Gallery are considering yeah. right now. Yeah. Does the city have to pick up um, some of what the province is not addressing and, and deciding not to fund? The challenge is that the city can't afford either, to, in particular, to, to put more investment into the arts right now. We're trying to figure out how to protect what we uh, what we have put out last year and and try and maintain a level of funding mm -hmm. which is going to be really challenging because we're under the we've got a 60 million dollar hole in our budget right now and uh so it's we can't make up you know and and, and pick up pieces for the province what we're going to try and do is ensure that we uh we maintain funding and that that's going to be difficult we've got a big budget consultation for the next uh, month and a half and uh and we'll be seeking feedback and and really seeing what, what people think is most important in terms of uh, the spending that we do with the dollars we have. Great. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah. And that, that, was, that was Mayor Gregor Robertson speaking after the uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony at the Colch. 
and he spoke to um, my question about affordable housing and more affordable spaces in the city, mm-hmm. and the city is trying to work towards that. Um, obviously, it's it won't be easy. Um, and he also did say that the city is really not in a position to um, to deal with some of the the funding gaps left by the province. Mm-hmm. Um, as he said, they've got a sixty million dollar shortfall, so it's. Um, it's going to be difficult for the city to offer anything more than it can, and it's going to be difficult th- for them to uh, to even uh, commit to the same level of funding for arts that they did in, in previous years. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the resounding sentiments that I felt at the ribbon-cutting ceremony and speaking with the, the mayor and with Minister Kruger was just the idea that we've created, we've poured funding into creating wonderful spaces, finally, to house Vancouver's many artists. And, of course, there are still... There is still a great lack of space, of usable space for artists in the city, but it it just seems as though if we're creating all these spaces now, will there be any young and upcoming groups or artists to be able to fill the spaces in the future? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would commend the province for funding the uh, the renovation at the Colch, and I, I that's truly uh, great for them to do that mm-hmm. to kind of work and support these projects. Mm-hmm. But I do. Yeah, just want to reiterate what you said is if we aren't if we aren't supporting these groups, no one's going to be there in those spaces mm-hmm. um, that we're already creating. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of ridiculous to say that oh, we're funding projects, but we aren't we aren't going to commit to funding uh, people people yeah. and, the, and their projects. And groups are falling through the cracks every week. I mean. As um, we've spoke before to the Helen Pitt Gallery, and they're having their final hurrah in their space this weekend. And Andrew, I know you have another report of just this week. And yeah, I do. I do. Um, just announced the Parade of Lost Souls is canceling, um, is being canceled due to the arts funding cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, their gaming money, their direct access funding, um, or, or otherwise known as gaming grants, um, were uh, were not honored um mm-hmm. in the way that they had believed that they would be honored um so they're they're facing cuts of up to 82 percent and it could go as high as 92 percent um so and last year as as many people know there was a huge turnout around mm-hmm. thirty-five thousand people at the parade of lost souls mm-hmm. um which is put on by public dream society and so which is the same society yeah. that puts on the yearly lantern festival at trout lake and that has been canceled on a number of occasions because of funding shortfalls in the past but um i know that the parade of lost souls has been an annual and highly anticipated event i was there for the last two years that i've been what's, living it, what's in it like tracy uh it's hard uh, it's just the Commercial Drive is uh, shut down. The whole East End is just filled with families, with um, revelers. Everyone's dressed to the nines. You, you'll see every costume you'd ever imagine. People walking on stilts. Performances just break out in the middle of the street. Some some blocks decide that all the, the houses are going to be themed. So there's um, performances happening in the houses, on the front lawns. There are... Uh, it's just a real amazing uh, amalgam of Vancouver's community, artists, and uh, people in general getting together, dressing up, having some fun, and uh, showing off how eclectic and amazing and creative we really can be together as a community. And so the, the parade would have taken place on October 24th, and um, but now it won't happen. And uh, they are encouraging people because it is a nonprofit. Um, you can make a donation on their website, and um, or you can give them a call. So I, you know, I encourage you to check their website out um, and donate, support them if you can. Um, but it's also just another symptom of um, the the BC arts cuts. And I do want to just close with mentioning. Um, there was a Charlie Smith of the Georgia Strait um, tried to interview. Uh, minister Kruger, and apparently at that interview, the minister walked out of the interview on him. And so I, I think it's it's pretty unfortunate when we're living in a province where our own um, our public representatives um, we can't even hold them to account, and we can't even question, or even you know, be in a space where we can ask questions about their actions. And I think it's unfortunate that uh, that that's occurring. So I just. I think it's uh, these are tough times, and I think um, we need to really make sure that we're we're holding these people to account, even though they may try to avoid 
the media as much as they can. And we were really lucky to have that opportunity to ask him those few questions before he uh, had to run off and catch his cab. And I would encourage everyone still, if you haven't yet sent a letter to the province, to your MP, to your MPP, and made your voices known about how you feel about the arts and culture cuts, how you what, how they impact your life and society here in Vancouver, I'd really encourage you to get out there and make your voice known and your opinions heard. It, our public representatives have to be held accountable for the cuts and for the choices that they make on our behalf. And they can't do that and they won't know that they're representing us or hurting our your your lives and our collective culture if you don't make your voices known so please get out there there's facebook campaigns there are many online events gray square events get out there and get your voices known and hold kruger to account if and when possible and i really want to thank you andrew for uh being there last thursday and for uh taking the time and my, pl- uh, my pleasure my having pleasure. the uh, the kahunas let's say to get out there all right that was andrew longhurst he is my political arts correspondent and he was speaking to the mayor gregor robertson and to bc's arts Tourism and Culture Minister Kevin Kruger last week at the Culture's Ribbon Cutting Ceremony. All right, now for something completely different. Last week, the Fire Hall Arts Centre presented two individual dance works by two unique choreographers. Uh, the event featured two separate shows, one by Serge Benethan, he presented Strange Adventure of Myself, and Joe Inc. presented In Habitat. My theatre critic, Paul Zerbeer, caught the first show, The Strange Adventure of Myself, by the artistic director of Les Productions Figalo, Serge Benethan, and the piece in company, uh, encompassed dance, music, and text. And Paul brought back this review of The Strange Adventure of Myself for the Arts Report. Here is Paul. For those of you who regularly follow the Arts Report, and I know you're out there, you'll know I generally cover the theatre scene. But every once in a while, I like to see something different. So last Thursday, I was at the Fire Hall attending the premier dance performance of The Strange Adventure of Myself by Les Productions' Figlio. Choreographed by Serge Benethan and performed by Sylvie and Sinez, this dance solo was inspired by the choreographer's musing of age on age, life, dance, and art. Now, I know as much about dance as I know about playing the violin, which is another way of saying I don't know much. So I lack the technical understanding of what separates a great dance performance from an average one. Without these critical tools at my disposal, I'm left to interpret the performance strictly by the impact it has on me. In this regard, I found the strange adventure of my life to be truly strange. I had a difficult time understanding what the piece was trying to communicate. The performance started slow, but then failed to gather any coherent momentum. There was no sense of a developing storyline or motivation for me to follow, and the dance piece lacked any representation of distinct characters or personalities to identify with. Other than the quality of the dancer's moves, which was fantastic, I admired the finely honed dance skills of Sylvie and Sinez. I greatly enjoyed the performer's skill and the emotional contact he brought to the dance. On a separate note, I want to express how grateful I was to be able to attend this performance. I don't expect to enjoy everything I see, but I do feel it's important for artists to have an opportunity for expression. With the current government's agenda of cutting funding to the arts, we, the public, are at risk of losing important forms of expression. For that, it's the greatest gift the arts community gives us. It allows us to have a voice in our communities and around the world. Artists are able to say and express ideas and opinions and concerns that many of us are either too busy to voice or unable to communicate. The current cutbacks endorsed by our provincial government will not give us better lives or shorter work days or healthier bodies. It is simply another method of limiting our ability for self-expression. When the arts are diminished, the community suffers and the individuals suffer. Because happiness not only comes from having, but also from giving and sharing and being heard. But of course, our current government doesn't want to hear that. For the Arts Report, this is Paul Zerbeer. And thanks, as always, to Paul. Paul caught that performance of The Strange Adventure of Myself by Serge Benethan last week at the Fire Hall Arts Centre. All right, so um, this weekend uh, at the Chan Centre, UBC presents 
the live sessions. And this weekend's fair includes Bella Fleck on banjo, Zakir Hussein on tabla, and Edgar Meyer on double bass. And they're going to be offering a world music fusion feast, let me tell you. So uh, I'm going to be sending my arts reporter... Brenda Gruno out to see that performance and uh, in order to give you a taste of uh, what that's going to be like I got this this bit by the three the trio of uh, Hussein Fleck and Meyer off YouTube this is called Making Music and it was recorded at the Bass Concert Hall in Austin Texas This is CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver <laughs> forward to an important date, dinner at home with the family. What's the matter? Doesn't that sound exciting to you? Luckily, UBC students have lots of on-campus dining options. The Pendulum Restaurant, your source for fresh dishes made in-house. The Pendulum boasts a large selection of vegan dishes, a comfortable atmosphere, and tasty breakfasts. On sunny days, you can also enjoy the licensed patio. Conveniently located next to the pit, the Pendulum is open seven days a week. This business is owned and operated by the AMS, your student society. Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Tracy Fuller. I've got a couple listings before we get to some more of the reviews I've got on today's show. And I still have Robert Kerr, the artistic director of the Cultural Olympiad, up waiting on, to be on at the tail end of the show. But it's just after 5.30 now. So um, this Friday, the Helen Pitt Gallery is uh, hosting their final hurrah at their uh, Alexander Street location. As we mentioned on the Arts Report earlier this year, 
year uh, due to their loss in uh, grants and funding from the provincial government and from other sources. The Helen Pitt will unfortunately have to close its doors. So this Friday they are hosting a party. Um, it's a time capsule party, um, which where they were will bury. Um, a time capsule full of your own contributions. Yes, if you show up at the Helen Pitt Gallery this Friday from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m., that's at 148 Alexander Street, you can contribute to the time capsule that will be buried at the site. Um, All items can be, they can be two-dimensional, three-dimensional, etc., but they should be uh, handheld size and, uh, or if they're pieces of papers or photos or something like that. They should be eight and a half by 11 or less. And uh, all the items will be on display throughout the evening. So you can check out what your friends and what other people are putting in the time capsule. And then it will be buried. Yes, buried at the location. So, um... Support the Helen Pitt. It's not dying. The Helen Pitt will live on in its shows and in its uh, curation, but the Alexander Street location is coming to a close, unfortunately, due to budget cuts. Um, So that's this Friday. Uh, It's $5 admission at the door, and that's at 148 Alexander Street. Also happening this Friday and Saturday at the Emily Carr University in Lecture Hall 301, there's a forum called Speaking Out, a Lamentation for Parhesian Strategies. And uh, this is part of the Speaking Truth to Reconciliation project. It's a project in two parts, which is Speaking Out, a Lamentation for Parhesian Strategies. And it's curated by Sadira Rodriguez, and it's a two-day forum of local and international speakers who will consider the possibilities of speaking out in the context of cultural production. Speaking Out describes adopting a position which is perceived to be the oppositional to mainstream mainstream cultural production and which chooses to reveal the limitations or structures in the operation of power. Speaking Out also implies a consequence to the act of intervening or critiquing these institutions. The act of speaking out is not only intellectual, but extends to the value of institutions, uh, of the speaker and of, as a social individual, his or her place in society, the consequences on their cultural capital, and the ramifications of talking about things most people do not want to. The forum is a the second part of a two-part project. The first is an exhibition at Art Speak that includes the work, works of Abbas Arkavan, Christina Lee Pozevda, and Mohamed Salemni, and it continues until October 31st. The project and the forum that's happening this weekend um, starts at 6.30 on Friday the 23rd, featuring Sadira Rodriguez and Ken, Ken Lum, and on Saturday, it continues starting at 10 a.m. and going through to 5 p.m. and ending with a panel, which includes most of the artists. Uh, if you want to find out more about it, you can check it out. Uh, there's a Facebook page and there's lots of information online at the Emily Carr website. So uh, check out Artspeak is hosting that. And last thing I'm going to mention today is that a week from now, and hopefully I'll have the... Um, the curators of this project on the show next week. But next Wednesday, October 28th, there's going to be a Grey Day Relay, um, which is a day-long action starting at 9 a.m. and going to 4 p.m. all over Vancouver. And uh, this is when uh, participants, um, a minimum of 16 people, will dress up in grey and walk single file silently to make a grey square silently on a city corner somewhere. Someone in the group will be designated as a timekeeper, and after 15 minutes, led by the timekeeper, They'll walk single file to another city corner and make another square. And this is going to go on all day, all around the city. And it's supposed to um, signify um, the arts and artists taking space in the city and the lack of arts art space that will be there as a result of the cuts and the gray signifies the graying out of the vibrant and beautiful culture that artists provide in our community so that's happening next wednesday so check watch out for it if you see a whole bunch of gray people walking around and creating squares downtown you'll know what it's about and hopefully i'll have the organizers on the show But back to my wonderful arts contributors. Robin Smith from the journalism school here at UBC headed out to see a show last Friday. It's a Titanic Survivor True Story, which is now being performed at the Maritime Museum here in Vancouver. It's a one-woman play written and performed by Jenny Abel, and it's directed and dramaturged by Tim Sutherland. 
um, Robin went out to see the play, and she came into the station earlier today to tell us a little so bit I'm about that. So I'm in the studio with my one of my new arts contributors, Robin Smith, and she went out to see a play last week at the Maritime Museum. Robin, thanks for coming into the studio today. No problem, Tracy. Okay, so tell us a little about what you saw last Friday. I saw a play, a one-woman show directed by Jenny Abel, uh, a recent graduate of George Brown. Mm-hmm. And she's putting on a show called The Reckoning of Violet Jessup. It's a survival story about one woman um, who survived three shipwrecks, uh, a whole host of, I think, tuberculosis. um, And Jenny calls her a chronic survivor. So Mm -hmm. the show took place at the Maritime Museum underneath the giant ship there. And... It was great. Pretty intimate show. No, that's a that's not your typical theater venue. I mean, playing anything under a show under a big boat in a museum. Um, what was the ambience like, and how many people were there? Uh, I don't think she she wrote it to take place under a show, but she really utilized that well. Um, it was a very small audience, kind of maybe a ten people. Mm-hmm, intimate. Very intimate, and. A lot of eye contact, not mm-hmm. something I've seen a lot of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, more like a monologue, a mm-hmm. one-hour monologue. Um, and a lot of audience participation. Okay. So she was passing a lot of props around. Um, just a very, very intimate mm-hmm. show. So really unique. When you spoke to her, did she give you any sense of why it was that she wanted to write this show or what inspired the story? Yeah, she was cast as Violet um, at a show... Uh, or I think it was a presentation about the Titanic, and people kept coming up to her and saying, you've got to tell this story in another way, uh, or in a more detailed way. So she started writing scripts, she traveled to England to visit Violet Jessup's grave, um, and working with, I think Tim Sutherland was her director, Mm -hmm. and 36 drafts or something, of just so much history, sort of weeding out things, and it's sort of come to this today. How long did that process take? I mean, 36 drafts is not a yeah. short period of time. No, it is not. Um, she, she's, I think she's been working on it for about a year. Okay. Um, and, yeah, just just starting to embark, if you want, mm-hmm. <laughs> on a, I guess, cross-country. She's taking it to Victoria, so... A voyage of her own. Yes, exactly. Um, so, do... Would you call this a family-friendly play, or what? What kind of audience do you think that this play would appeal to? It does seem like a historical piece. It does, and perhaps um, for people who are a little more adventurous, people who aren't uh, who aren't afraid of being involved in a show. Um, who would this show be best for? I think, I think definitely the adventurous type, history buffs. Um, I mean. As you said, just somebody who maybe feels a little bit lost when they go to traditional mm. theater mm-hmm. uh, or feel that theater is a bit inaccessible. I mean, I, I don't think that's necessarily true of mm. a theater, but some people are overwhelmed yes. by large audiences. Uh, so it, it's a nice mm-hmm. a nice break from that, mm-hmm. from, from that sort of... Do you think... It, did, did you learn something new or did... did um, did it add to the stories that you've already heard about the Titanic, or did it change the way you think about the history of, of those sort of survival um, stories, whether it be on, on a shipwreck or perhaps the Canadian myths of surviving in the wilderness? I mean, the the theme of survival is something that's very inherent to Canadian life, and uh, as Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood, survival, yeah. Yeah, so, so, I mean, did, that, did it bring up any ideas or, or thoughts beyond the play itself? Definitely. I I went with a friend, Yvonne, and she was talking about um, an exhibit she saw about the Titanic. I think it was in Toronto a little while ago, where you entered the exhibit and you were given a name, Hmm. um, just a name, and you followed sort of through the the journey, and and you ended up at the end finding out the, the... the fate of the the name you were given or the actual right. person, and it kind of was like that, I guess, with Violet's story having this um, this personal story. Um, it it sort of brings back that memory of the Titanic, mm-hmm. fleshes it out a little bit more. Um, she's a very unusual woman too, mm-hmm. uh, so that just that personal story um, as well as 
was really enjoyable. Yeah, and um, I imagine it would, I mean, so many people associate Titanic stories now with the Kate Winslet yeah. and Leonardo Ca- DiCaprio yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. movie. So um, perhaps this is a fresh take that people uh, will welcome after such a long time with Jack and Kate. Definitely, exactly. And she's, it comes across, she's so passionate about the character, so, um, and it, it comes through. Great. So um, how how long is the run and where can people see it and how much are tickets? Uh, So I believe tickets are $20.15 for students. Uh, It's at the Vancouver Maritime Museum in in Kitsilano. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's running until October 25th. So you can check that out online or uh, give the museum a call. Perfect. Well, thank you, Robin, so much for going to see it and for sharing your opinions with us. Anytime. All right, that was Robin Smith, who went to see the one-woman play The Reckoning of Violet Jessup, which is now on at the Vancouver Maritime Museum. Uh, It's on until the 25th, and the doors open at 7.30, and the show's at 8 p.m., so get on down and check it out. Now, from another fantastic arts contributor, I've got such wonderful contributors this year. I'm very happy that there's so many other people contributing to the Arts Report this year. Uh, Guillaume Clement went out to see one of the award-winning documentaries at last week's Vancouver International Film Festival. Um, the film he he saw is a multi-award-winning documentary about soci- the socio-political demonstrations that took place in Burma in 2007. Its title was Burma VJ, Reporting from a Closed Country, and it was directed by Anders Ostergaard and was proposed during and was featured as part of VIF last week, which closed on Friday and was fantastic. So um, this is the review from Guillaume Clement, and he's sharing his impressions here on the Arts Report. Take it away, Guillaume. Burma VJ is one of those films that you cannot watch without feeling deeply concerned about what's just happening in front of you. It's a really powerful story that moves you deep inside, and not only because the content is tragic and revolting, but mostly because it's true, it's the real life. So for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, let's just sum up the pitch of this documentary. Burma VJ shows the mobilization of a little team of Burmese undercover journalists to film the situation of the country under the repressive rule of the military junta and their dangerous work to send images to the whole world media. They do so in order to make people know, know about uh, the dramatic conditions of living of the population of one of the most closed countries in the world. So concerning this documentary, the major events happening in 2007 are the massive demonstration against the regime, led by the Buddhist priest, the monks. It's formally to protest against uh, the sudden rise of the energy prices but the crisis is much deeper than that. It's uh, really impressive and moving to see this massive uh, march demanding peacefully just better conditions of living, less repressions and also more politically the liberation of the iconic leader of the opposition, Ansan Suu Kyi. Ansan Suu Kyi, I remind you, that is uh, still today assigned to residence for at least one year and a half which is going to prevent her from participating to the next major election in less than six months in this country. But let's go back to the demonstration of 2007. So as we have all seen the news a couple of years ago, they have been bloodily repressed. And even though we don't have precise numbers, at least four people have been killed, including a Japanese journalist that we see just being shot during the documentary. So in the end, the march didn't manage to change the situation and the documentary concludes on an apolitical images of the storm Nargis that devastated uh, the country a few weeks later. So this is, as you realize, not really a funny film to see, but a very good and important testimony about the censorship, the repression and the conditions of living of this country that the junta renamed Myanmar. It leaves you with a great concern, but mostly great admiration for the work of this journalist that risks their life every day, this in order to keep a hope to reverse one day the regime and free the population a remarkable lesson of bravery and a remarkable lesson of journalism. 
That was Guillaume Clement, and he was reviewing Burma VJ Reporting from a Closed Country, which is a multi-award-winning documentary about the socio-political demonstrations that took place in Burma in 2007. Guillaume caught the film at the Vancouver International Film Festival, which closed last week, but you may be able to find uh, copies of the film in your local video store in the near future, let's hope, because it was so well-recognized around the world. I'm going to have to take a quick break and then I'll only be able to bring you the first half of my conversation with Robert Kerr this week. What a jam-packed show full of fantastic con- content. But uh, before I get to a PSA, here's Hermetic. They're playing tonight at the Biltmore alongside a number of other Vancouver locals. This is Hermetic's song Sunday Best on CITR 101.9 FM. in 2003, record-breaking protests flooded the streets of over 800 cities across the planet. George Bush called this global demonstration a mere focus group, while Patrick Tyler of the New York Times said the protests show there are now two superpowers on the planet, the United States and worldwide public opinion. One month later, the U.S. invaded Iraq, and the peace movement had evidently failed. Since then, many now argue to achieve a world without war, we must rethink the paradigm of peace. Vancouver's Community Television Association presents a special benefit screening of Think Peace, Portrait of a 21st Century Movement. 
The film takes audiences back to the historic Vancouver Peace Forum of 2006 to pose the question, what is peace and how do we achieve it? Think Peace, Portrait of a 21st Century Movement will screen Tuesday, October 27th at 7 p.m. in the Norm Theatre. Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I've got the beginning of my interview with Robert Kerr, who is the uh, head of the Cultural Olympiad, uh, here for you. But it's a 20-minute interview, and gosh knows I've only got eight minutes left. So I'm going to hit you with the beginning of my conversation with Robert Kerr, and then I'll have to bring it back, probably not next week, because next week is my exciting and very exciting, fabulous, exciting Halloween special show, which will feature Evil Dead, um, a monster festival from Granville Island, some more blood, guts, and gore, as much as I can possibly fit into one single show. Um, so that's on, on the bill for next week. But uh, until then, here's Robert Kerr, and uh, I probably won't have time to sign off from you today. So I'm going to leave you with another song from Manta Reagan, who were the winners at Shindig last night. Head out to the Railway Club every Tuesday night for CITR's Shindig, which is our our yearly battle of the bands it's happening again next tuesday head on down i'm going to play the the manta reagan tune tagol to end the show but before that he, take a quick listen to robert kerr the head of the cultural olympiad talking to me on citr 101.9 fm have a great weekend robert kerr thank you so much for joining us here on the arts report it's a pleasure to be here tracy thanks for having me no worries now I guess I want to start off right from the top. I think there's still quite a lot of uncertainty about what the Cultural Olympiad is. Uh, back in 1984, when the modern Olympic movement was founded, it was culture was supposed to be brought to the forefront as the, sort of the second pillar of the Olympics. But I still think that here in Vancouver, at least, there's a lot of people who are wondering what the Cultural Olympiad of 2010 is going to look like, who it's going to feature, and how Vancouver itself is going to be involved. Can you speak to that a bit? Absolutely. The Cultural Olympiad is essentially a multidisciplinary festival of arts and popular culture. So we span um, you know, the full spectrum of performing arts, including music and theater and dance and you know, interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary work, uh, the visual arts, um, as well as uh, you know, literary works, literary arts, and some into the uh, new media and digital realm as well through the Cultural Olympiad Digital Edition. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it really is about bringing that second pillar to life within the context of the games. And, uh, you know, you, you quite uh, correctly noted it is that culture is the second pillar of the games, and it goes way back to the, you know, the ancient uh, games in Greece where, you know, the, the poets and the musicians and, you know, the actors were all there alongside, you know, the... Uh, uh, the athletes uh, to bring the different cultures of, of, of uh, you know the Grecian tribes together, and as was there uh, in the late 19th century when you know the modern Olympics were reformed. But <clears throat> excuse me, the um, you know the games are, are typically experienced by people through television, mm -hmm. unless a community is hosting the games. Just about everyone's experience is uh, through television, and certainly. You know, the primary focus uh, of any TV coverage of the games is sports, mm. along with the ceremonies, opening and closing ceremonies. Right. So, you know, the ceremony is certainly a, a major part of the cultural program. That's not part of Cultural Olympiad. That's a separate thing altogether. Mm -hmm. And then the Cultural Olympiad is that festival of, of activity that carries on, um, in the case of Vancouver 2010, um, both before and during the game. So we actually run for 60 days mm -hmm. from January 22nd through to March 21st. And uh, we'll have over uh, 600 performances and exhibitions uh, throughout that period in uh, some 60-odd venues throughout Metro Vancouver and the Cedar Sky Corridor. Hmm. Yes, you touched on on the fact that I think a lot of people don't don't understand or aren't aware of the Cultural Olympiad because of the this focus on sports and the television experience of what the games are when you're watching them from afar. Can you give us a sense of how many Vancouver versus Canadian versus international artists are coming? Because I mean, everyone's excited about the sports people who are who will be arriving in town, but hundreds of artists will also be coming here. Absolutely. Um, we've got, the, the program is roughly balanced between, you know, around um, 
30, 35% uh, BC uh, artists, mm-hmm. about 35, uh, 40% Canadian artists, and then around 25% international artists. So it's a really good mix of BC, uh, Canadian, and international artists. And we have Canadian artists from, from coast to coast to coast, from all provinces and territories uh, who will be part of the games. And you know, one of the thing, part of the Cultural Olympiad, one of the things I want to emphasize is our focus on contemporary culture mm-hmm. and the contemporary arts. Uh, and, and we, um, you know, we're, we're a young community. Vancouver's, you know, certainly one of the youngest uh, places in the country and the West Coast just in general, you know, is certainly a very contemporary and very forward-looking uh, part of the part of uh, the continent. And Canada itself is a, is a young place, so it's obviously very culturally diverse, and it's and it's constantly inventing and reinventing itself. Mm-hmm. So when we look to create the Cultural Olympiad, we were really interested in Vancouver's Cultural Olympiad to focus on where are we now and where are we going? Right. And what is the state of our contemporary arts and looking forward into the future through arts and, arts and culture. Mm-hmm. And I understand that as a part of that, as a part of... Um Pilgrim, a letter. At 18, I thought the Sisabu wept. Five years younger, you were lush, beautiful, mystery. Your limbs, scrolls of deep water. Before your home, lost in roses, I swooned, drunken in the village of Wyla Falls, and brought you apple blossoms.